you want really good coffee to take on your next adventure, use CS Instant Coffee. You can find out more about them at csinstant.coffee. You know, every day you would wake up and just be ready to explore the backyard, which you know was hundreds of miles full of soft solitude. So it was amazing. Also full of lots of tragedy and very heart-wrenching stuff. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. I had a hard time knowing what to kind of name this episode because Catherine and I talk about all kinds of stuff. And uh, one of the biggest things we talked about was building grit and why grit is important in today's world. It's something that I know I could use more of and something that I may go a long time without actively building. And, you know, Catherine lives above the Arctic Circle in a town called Kotzebue, Alaska. And she went up there to, to find solitude. And she uh, has written a book about her kind of thirst for solitude throughout her whole life, and it's called Epic Solitude. The book is really just a memoir about her life of adventure, about what it's like to live up there, as well as just, you know, a lot of her personal story intertwined between all that. She has hiked the PCT, she has raced the Iditarod number of times, and she has competed in about half a dozen full Ironman competitions, which is about two and a half miles swimming, 112 miles of biking, and then a marathon. You do it all back to back to back. Pretty wild adventure. And she's done six of those and probably six to eight half Ironmans as well. So I really encourage you to check out the book if you want to know more about her story. She alludes to some things that, but doesn't get really into it. And you can find that on Amazon uh, or at her website, which is katherinekeith.com. Both of those are in the show notes, the link to where to find the book. But the book, like I said, Epic Solitude, a story of survival and a quest for meaning in the far north. And she's actually getting ready to also climb the seven summits. So this, this woman knows how to adventure for sure. It's it's pretty remarkable. Um, and also she's got wilderness and wellness workshops coming up. And there's a link for all that in the show notes. Also... Um, before we get started, if you do, if you were a fan of us last year, you know that we did in the springtime an adventure grant. It was for a thousand dollars to someone who was planning an adventure. Well, guess what? We're going to be doing it again this year with Athletic Brewing. It is just their thing. It's going to be the Athletic Brewing Adventure Grant. But if you'd like to apply, we're looking for folks who are planning an adventure somewhere in 2020 who are going to attempt to make a, a, an impact on their community, you know, whether it's, a, you know, it can be anything from running across Kansas for literacy or climbing a mountain for some sort of cause. Um, but we, we want to find people who are using adventure to make the world a better place. If you want to plan something or you have something you're already planning, please apply at athleticbrewing.com. And the link for that is also in the show notes. And we will be selecting a winner on Athletic Brewing's podcast that I host called Without Compromise on April 10th. But the application is open from now until about the end of March. So please go check that out. And I have rambled quite a bit today. So let's get into the episode. 
first of all, I want to welcome you to the show. You to the show, Catherine. Welcome. Well, it's good to meet you, Mason. Yeah, and and so we were talking just a second ago. You said you're at the Seattle airport. Are you in the middle of traveling, or are you there for a while? What's going on with that? Oh, just in between stops, the busy time when you're launching a book. Has that been crazy? Quite an adventure. It's been a complete adventure. Uh, I thought writing the book was hard enough, and then all of the work leading into promoting it, that's a whole different bailiwick. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, we're going to talk more about that, and folks have heard some about you through the intro, but I'd love for you to tell us, you know, you know, what, okay, obviously Seattle's not home because you're traveling, but um, where is home from you? Where, where do you live? Well, I grew up in Minnesota, but I live in Kotzebue, Alaska. I have for the past 20 years, and that's northwest Alaska, above the Arctic Circle, uh, on the ocean. So it's really, you can picture the Bering Sea land bridge about right there. No way. Can you paint a picture of what life is like for you up there? You've been there 20 years. Wow. I mean, can you just... Yeah. What, so I, I would say 99.9% of people are just not going to know what that's like. What, what Could you just describe it a little bit? Well, it's very snowy, very windy, but it's the most beautiful, majestic place um, that I've learned to call home. It's uh, living above the Arctic Circle is in honor. The uh, landscape, the sky is something that the people that have been up there, you know, all will just intrinsically understand uh, what that's like. You know, the, the sky is constantly ever-changing. You know, you, you consider most people think about the darkness and what that means to live there, dealing with the darkness. Uh, however, when you think about the, the night sky, well, the night sky is amazing. I mean, you have the stars that are just stunning because there's not much light pollution and then when the uh, sun is not in the sky you the moon actually revolves 24 hours um, a day the full moon 24 hours a day I mean that's glorious so life above the arctic circle is just full of magic um, and uh, uh, it's changing every day so I grew up in Minnesota like as I said so I'm pretty used to the kind of constant seasons and that's very much um, it's very much the opposite up there I can imagine I can imagine you have to be pretty hardy to to live in a place I mean, is it a culture shock to you being in Seattle right now yeah it always is <laughs> anytime <laughs> you leave but I, I love that I love the change of going to new places though I can appreciate it Oh my gosh, that is too cool. I mean, what a place. So can you just kind of, you grew up in Minnesota. What, what Were you into, you know, adventurous things, sports? Um, what, what was life like there? Did you do a lot of things outside with family? Well, at a very young age, probably as early as you know, seven or eight, I right away knew that I had to be alone um, outside in the woods. I took off with my dad at his cabin, and I would run into the woods as soon as I could. I would go find the beaver dam, and I would go beyond there and play in the ferns and try to find all the ticks that I could <laughs> and 
compete against my brother. Like I was, I was that kind of kid that just needed the solitude um, to get out in nature. And I wasn't a child that needed to be around other kids that much. So um, from there, growing up, uh, I immediately uh, began to find other sports that allowed me to do those types of activities. Um, not, I played some team sports, but you know, cross-country skiing became um, a passion of mine. And then I soon found rock climbing um, at 14 or 15. And then learning about the adrenaline, uh, the fear, the skill, you know, the combination of those things uh, and the joy that that can bring you kind of led me on from there to other things. But yeah, yeah, all of those things kind of paved the way to what the rest of my life was going to be like. Uh, solo trips you learned early on you know you wanted to be solo and you and you and you kind of leaned into that and knew that there was something that was important to you what, what did you begin doing after discovering solo hiking and then also climbing was there any big adventure you decided to take on and what, what did that kind of lead to interestingly it dovetailed nicely with some presentations that i had heard at school uh, will steger and ann bancroft had come into class uh, and talked about their expeditions up to the North Pole. And they're both from Minnesota, so I have the benefit of seeing their presentations and hearing firsthand about their dog mushing expeditions. And right then, it planted the seed of dog mushing and polar Arctic trips. It was kind of imprinted in my soul at that point wow. where I was going to end up going. And how old were you when that they came and did those talks? I was about 12 years old. Wow. That, yeah. that seed was planted then. How long was it yeah. until you were able to, I don't know, act on that? I eventually came north to Alaska when I was 20. Quite a bit of life happened in between there. I probably would have gone north sooner, but the other thing that both of them have done and I knew about at the time was they gave back strongly to their community. They both are very strong advocates. They were there in the classroom um, giving back to the kids. They contributed to um, environmental issues, climate change. And that also gave back, you know, a strong impression to me as well. Just seeing them as strong role models. Um, I still follow them to this day. You know, I want to be them. <laughs> <laughs> still wow, <even laughs> I don't know still. how but one day <laughs> <laughs> they're still doing amazing things wow uh, in years so it's they're, they're remarkable but that's so neat to know that there's you know you're so impressionable at that age because I don't know you just don't think things might stick you know eight ten years later but that is when seeds are planted yeah and I've heard that theme over and over again from a lot of people what they've done in life was inspired by people that came into their classroom at young ages. And so, and so then what, did you do anything immediately? Like I'm going to, I can't dog mush in Alaska, but I'm going to go, you know, just, I don't know, ride my skateboard down the sidewalk or something. I don't know. <laughs> was it, was it, was there anything in, initially it kind of encouraged you to do? Well, given, well, I was a climber. Uh, so I, I began just climbing because for me, I needed to, um, I needed to be alone in the wilderness. That was 
for me, the way to survive. <laughs> so anything that I could do to get out in the wilderness and push myself uh, in some capacity. I needed to find a way to create grit in myself. I wanted to have that hardcore feeling of being able to test uh, who I was as a person. Even as a teenager, I knew that that was really important. Um, and to be able to have that spiritual exchange that happens when you're in the wilderness. And I think even at a, even kids kind of know what that is when they're in nature. They uh, have that sense of wonder when they're out there. And um, so in climbing, you can have those experiences. Uh, and I found that and I, I loved it. So I would take off when I was able to drive at 16. I would get in my car and just start driving. Uh, I would head out to the South Dakota Needles in the Devil's Tower. And I would find some people that would climb with me <laughs> and hope that they were good enough players. <laughs> and, yeah. and then <laughs> it usually worked out okay. Yeah, so I, I did a lot of that hiking and mountain biking. And, and now at some point you decided to to test that that grit and to, to instill more grit and you decided to solo hike the PCT. Is that correct? Was that, was that soon after kind of, you know, maybe getting out of high school? Yep. Yep. And what was that experience like? Yeah. The Pacific Crest Trail, uh, brilliant experience. I was deciding between the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. And, you know, as you've heard with my propensity towards being alone, the Pacific Crest Trail was clearly the more obvious choice for me. And after a year or two of particularly hard times, I decided I kind of need to heal a little bit. So I'm going to go you know, walk on, walk down the trail here. So um, I went, there's a lightweight packer and it was definitely a hard trip. I uh, went pretty early on in the year and there was a ton of snow and I didn't have any alpine experience uh, um, and going through the Sierras, you know, I had my like, titanium ice axe with me and <laughs> my shorts and hiking through and punching through all of the, the deep snow, you know, if I deep snow punching through and then hitting your knees on the rocks, but you'd still have, you know, 4,000 feet left to climb to the oh, passes. Gosh. And I mean, <laughs> A lot of people that have been there. And then on the other side of it, you'd have to get across a rushing glacier melt river. And then you get swept away in that because there's so much water. And, you know, <laughs> last looking back at it, because being kind of young, I was not sure if that was normal or not. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, you know, not a very experienced hiker at that point probably made a lot of mistakes, but um, the, the point was what had needed to happen was trying to recover from a couple years of very big frustrations and going through those uh, mountain passes in the Sierras and, you know, a lot of physical pain and fatigue and hunger <laughs> and thirst, you know, it allowed me to think about, you know, what was happening out there on the trail. Is it when I'm getting, when I'm wanting to cry so bad, 
when I'm wanting to quit, when I'm ready to throw my pack over the um, side of the, all the switchbacks, is it because of the trail that's getting me down or is it because of my past? Is it because I'm a weak person? Is it um, the lack of control over things that I couldn't change? You know, what was it that was really breaking me so bad? And all you can do in those situations is just take another step down the trail. You don't have much choice. And that's what began to teach me how you manage life itself, not just that particular hiking trip. All you can do is take a step at a time. And that's a cliche. Just take one step at a time. But that's really what it takes to generate grit, is getting yourself through those really bad situations where you're ready to quit. You have no idea how you're going to make it. It seems impossible. But you force yourself through it. You breathe through it. And then you just keep going. And through the Pacific Crest Trail, I think that was my first experience there's many experiences like that along the trail but it helped to teach me that and help me through many such experiences uh, in the years to come is what you were leaving or the, the the difficulties back home is that something you talk about or is that something that you like to keep to yourself oh i talk about it in the book absolutely. oh do you do you, yep, do you yeah. want to save it for that then um no it's Everyone growing up through childhood has their childhood trauma. And, you know, I had um, gotten had an early marriage that ended early, and you know, we we all have. I had my share of early teenage problems that needed to be resolved before I could move ahead in life, because otherwise they would have held me back, um, and they did. However, after getting through the Pacific Crest Trail, you know, I, I could come to terms with that and leave it behind to the best degree possible in a healthy way, come to terms with it, and then move forward, um, put my, being able to put my best foot forward as I moved ahead with my Alaska trip on my terms, not running away from the past, but moving forward into a great future. Do you prescribe a challenge like this or something physical to anyone basically trying to get through some milestone in life? 100%. I recommend coming up with some form of architectured grit in your life in some capacity. Not everybody can create a physical challenge to create grit. Um, folks that have a full family or a full-time job um, or that may be having a, a parent that they're uh, caring for full-time or uh, someone that has a disability. So we all have to create our own challenges. And so we can create a scenario that is going to generate grit for us in our own way. So we have to just be strategic about how we do that, that's specific to us. And when we identify what those trigger points are for us, then we can lob that up in the air and grab it 
and put ourselves in a situation to go after it and, and be ready to work for it. You've said grit a few times, and I know that's definitely a theme in the book. Do you think today's society lacks grit? And if so, what would you say to the person that says, well, I don't need grit in my life? I'd be very afraid for the person that says they don't need grit. I do feel that as a society, we are lacking in grit. Somebody might say, well, what is grit? And I say that grit is a combination of strength, determination, courage, heart, and overall just a will to never give up. It's a combination of all of those things. It's important because no matter who we are as individuals, loss is inevitable. We are going to lose a job. We're going to lose a family member. We're going to lose uh, any number of things in our life. And it's going to affect us in a number of ways. At first, it'll hit us with shock. And then people may walk around uh, numb for a period of time. But some people never pull out of that. And they walk around uh, in that state of shock or numbness for a period of time. And some never really fully engage with life again after that. And what's important is that we learn how to fully engage with life again. But to do that, you need grit to be able to fight your way back to the surface again and to say yes to life. This life is amazing. And look at the beauty in it. It's a wonderful, amazing thing that we have. And without grit, the resiliency to tolerate the ups and downs, you might miss it. Mm. Now, can I ask you this? You know, I know you went out to the PCT to, to generate that grid, but at some point you were pushed off the trail. Would, would you say that was a, a compromise of grit or was it just, you know, obviously there are times where you have to stop something for your own health or for the health of others. And, and was this one of those times for you? And how, how do you process that looking back at it now? I would say it was serendipity in a sense. It was... Because I did have Giardia, it was very unfortunate that I had to leave the trail. And I needed to make money because I was very poor. I would be leaving myself uh, $10 in the drop boxes ahead of time to try to get myself some food at the post offices and stuff. That wasn't quite enough to get the medication and to see the doctor. Right, right. So I right. thought that, like, oh. So to make a long story short, I heard about Sundance. Somebody had a connection to, that I could go down to Arizona and um, witness and be a part of a Sundance down there, which to me was this very important spiritual awakening that was a higher priority than finishing the trail. So I made a conscious decision to detour down there. And ultimately it, it saved my life, which is totally another story. So I feel it's important to be flexible on your adventures or these quests when needed. Time for a quick message break. 
CS Instant Coffee is definitely the best instant coffee I've ever had. In fact, just out of convenience and how good it tastes, I decided for the last year I've been taking it on every single adventure I go on from backpacking to bike tours. Uh, just from convenience sake, it's really high quality and it keeps me from having to take a bunch of other equipment out in the woods. Uh, but it's not just for going out on adventures. My wife actually takes some to work every single day with her. She takes a couple packs uh, to refill her coffee mug uh, as a teacher. She doesn't have a ton of time to um, have to you know make fresh coffee all the time. So she just needs a little hot water, can pour the coffee in and she's ready to go for her next class and not waste a lot of time. So if you're crunched for time in your job, uh, I would definitely suggest giving it a shot because they have been huge supporters of the show for the last year. And I really appreciate everything they've done for us. And it would mean a lot to me to go support them. So if you're interested, go to csinstant.coffee and uh, support those who are supporting the show. It would go a long way. Thank you. All right, let's get back to the episode. Hmm. It's almost like you transferred your grid from one thing to another. Like, you know, I can't continue on the trail, but I, I got to make it in life. I got to get healthy again, first of all, and I've got to make money. And obviously those pursuits take a lot of grit as well. So maybe you just were moving on from the PCT to another form, another challenge, really. Yeah. Yes. And plus having Giardia for about a hundred miles on the trail <laughs> that generated at least a thousand grit points because I was so <laughs> sick <laughs> for I a bet. very that sounds, long time. Sounds it awful. Was, it was horrendous. <laughs> so I felt satisfied. <laughs> you, you, uh, yeah, you were getting accelerated grit points at that point. Um, yep. <laughs> you earned the rest of those miles. That's for sure. So, you know, you, you say you went down to a Sundance. What, what, what was that? What is that? I, I'm not sure familiar with that. Um, it's an uh, American uh, Indian ceremony from the Plains Indians. And you'll have to read the book to hear more about that story. Okay. All right. Very cool. So, I, yeah, I'm excited. And I, now I said I, I have the book and I've definitely started, but I wasn't able to finish by the time we um, got, got into this episode. But um, I'd love to know, you know, from from there, how, wh where did you go then? I, I know at some point you went up to Alaska. How, how did How did that come about? How did Alaska come about? Was it that search for solitude? Yeah, it Absolutely was. It was time to go north. It just couldn't be denied anymore. I scrounged up $500 to purchase the short bus, which was converted into an ice cream truck. It had Pokemon Perfect. stickers on the sides of it. And when I hit the horn on the steering wheel, it played music. It was excellent. <laughs> okay. That's so awesome. I drove up there, I got eight miles a gallon and drove to Seward, Alaska, where I was able to find a job. Uh, at first, I led kayak tours in Resurrection Bay. Very gorgeous spot for anybody that hasn't been there. Put it on your bucket list. And after that job was finished, I went up to Godwin Glacier, which is also in Seward. And that's where I learned my first ex um, experience exactly how to run dogs. 
exactly how to run dogs. So what was, what, what, it, what it, is that something you were always keeping in the back of your mind since that, that talk that you had at 12 years old or that you were had at your school? And was this finally an opportunity? Was that the ultimate goal or did you just kind of see the opportunity and say, oh yeah, I remember that talk. I'd love to continue to try to pursue this. I remember the talk. And as I drew, as I drove up north to Alaska, I was working out how I could find a way to run dogs and make it work to run the Iditarod. And it was a matter of figuring out where to get a job. Typically, getting a job as a handler is a non-paid position. The problem was I didn't have much money to begin with. As I drove into Seward, I was running on fumes. So I'm going <laughs> to, I really didn't have any options. I had to find some kind of paying work before I could do anything else. So as I worked on Godwin Glacier, I was able to learn the basics about dog mushing. But from there, I could, uh, I was looking for other work and found a posting in Seward for a job up north in Kotzebue from an Iditarod dog musher named Ed Eaton. And they were looking for a dog handler for the winter to go up there. And for the experience, you live up there. They provide you room and board and give you an airline ticket. And in exchange for that, you learn everything. It was amazing. Everything, I went up there and learned everything about running dogs, how to feed them, how to train them. I learned about life in the bush, all of the chores, water, wood, you name it. And you you enjoyed that. That was fun to you. Oh, yeah. It was a dream come true. That That's awesome. What I had wanted you know, back at the 12-year-old me. So I, I guess a couple dozen dogs don't really interfere with your sense of solitude. Dogs are not a part of the equation. <laughs> Dogs are not just just some humans, then, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, yeah I, I I I understand. I definitely understand. We we have a few dogs, and uh, I'd never mind their company. Let's put it that way. But there are definitely plenty of people who I can only spend a little, you know, certain amount of time with. <laughs> Gosh, from there, and that and that was up where you're living now. That was up in Kutzebue. Yep, yep. That's how I made it up here. After that season, what what, what kind of kept you up there? Was it another, did another opportunity pop up? And, and obviously, you enjoyed the lifestyle. What what was that like? I stayed up there uh, now that I've been there for twenty years, and a lot of life happened between then and now. After I left the Eatons, I met and uh, married my husband, who I had lost, and we had two kids. My daughter, Amelia, is now 16, and our life was very full. The adventure sports side of things had lessened, but we did have many more adventures during those days, which were crazy because we would be searching for mammoth ivory all over um, Kotzebue Sound and uh, on the ocean looking for you know, full mammoth tusks. We'd be um, boating all over the Arctic Ocean, uh, beach combing, building our log cabin. I mean, tons of things that you know, every day you would wake up and just 
be ready to explore the backyard, which, you know, was hundreds of miles full of soft solitude. Um, so it was amazing. Also full of lots of tragedy and very heart-wrenching stuff. But after, after those years, uh, I went on then to begin the triathlons. And from there, the entry into Iditarod and Yukon Quest. Wow. It, can I ask you this? I know you have kind of a, a, a range of skills and I, I'll be honest, like every, it's almost like every point you bring up is just an episode in itself. Just like obviously life up there. Could we could just talk about that forever? Grow, you know, raising children in such a remote place, what that's like, because so yeah. few listeners are going to ever have this, unfortunately, are ever going to have this experience firsthand. And But we're all so curious about what life up there is really like. But, you sure. know, so, so you were dog sledding, but then it led into to Ironman. But, uh, you know, I, I, did you, did you want to say something? I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was just thinking about uh, what it's like out there raising a camp, raising a, a child. <laughs> You say at camp, what, what is that? Is that, was that home? Was home more of like a, a camp setting? Yeah, we consider them camps. Um, people call them cabins like in the northern states or um, people in rural Alaska call them camps. Basically, it's a log cabin. So we have a, a vertical log cabin. And uh, it's 15, 18 miles away from Kotzebue. You get there only by snow machine or by boat. So it's very isolated. I mean, what are some of the challenges slash opportunities of raising a family somewhere that remote? What what have you experienced? Well, you mentioned raising a child. So when and it was just myself and my daughter, Amelia, when she was 10 months old, you can consider something like keeping the house warm, uh, which we all like to have a warm house. Yeah, yeah. But I'd have to get fuel from town which was 15 miles away and you'd have to pay $8 a gallon for it. So it wasn't cheap. And then we'd have to get it in a big 50 gallon drum and then put it on a big sled and then bring that back to camp. (laughs) We have to pump fuel into the snow machine, warm up the snow machine. And because I couldn't ever pull start it, I'd have to get a generator started so I could put a hairdryer on power the hairdryer and then put the hairdryer and the carburetors in the snow machine. <laughs> Take this, put Amelia on my back under my parka, drive to the wood lot eight miles away, get a chainsaw, cut down the trees, <laughs> chainsaw the wood, chop the wood for <laughs> the wood stove once I got back, and then carry it all in a few pieces at a time into the wood stove. And then the whole time, like she's, she's on my back and I'm scared nonstop because she's 10 months old. So, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. You wonder like, Oh, what, why are we doing this? And then you turn around and then you look at beautiful, brilliant sun or, you know, heard a caribou going by. There's moments and you understand why, why you're out there. But yeah, it's stunning. You know, a lot of people are going to ask why, why would you do that? But, you know, you just gave the reasons why, and I'm sure that was just an immense reward. Uh, can I ask you this? I know I'm just out of curiosity. You know, I've got an eight month old and the, and the guilt of not living near 
parents just, uh, you know, grabs hold of me every day. What was that like for you with, with other family or extended family? Was there pressure to be somewhere more accessible? Yeah, always. I don't think it was difficult to, to deal with the pressure other than I miss having them around and vice versa. It's without any family in Alaska, any close, you know, any close to, yeah, without any family, it's, it could be lonely in that way. But again, being that lone wolf, <laughs> you manage. <laughs> wow. And so that sense of solitude and that desire for adventure has been enough to, to keep you out there long-term, obviously 20 years. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's incredible. And so for Amelia growing up in that, is this just kind of normal life to her? She probably doesn't know anything different, huh? Yeah. Yeah. She loves it out there. And now that she's um, older and uh, going to school and what, busy herself we go out there primarily uh, in the summers we don't live out there um so our life has since been uh, more busy and kind of uh, taken a different direction so we're not at the subsistence camp anymore it's more of a summer camp so okay wow and so you know at some point you know you got really interested in doing doing uh some training for some Ironman competitions. How, how did that come about being up there in Alaska? Did you, did you see an ad or just, just did someone else tell you a story about that? And you're like, I want to do that at some point. How did that come about? Actually, that was kind of what it was. I was <laughs> going back to the university to finish my degree. I got my degree in renewable energy engineering. And, and where was this? What university? This was in Fairbanks. Oh yeah. And I needed to do something. So I wasn't, I needed to be training for something. And I wasn't sure what, you know, I was running. And it, I like those big lofty goals to work towards. I think they're important to have them. But I couldn't think of what I'm Marathon, well, yeah, okay, that wasn't. But I actually wasn't aware that Ironmans existed. So I set a goal for a triathlon. But I didn't have any of the gear. I didn't have anything. So I started training for this triathlon. And then I borrowed people's bikes. <laughs> then I figured that there was this Ironman thing. <laughs> and wow, I'm going to do that. <laughs> so that got me going. And then I was, before I even did one, I was hooked. So uh, I, I participated in uh, Ironmans for about eight years and where, where was your first one what was it up in alaska it was silveran in uh henderson what was that experience i mean was it everything you thought it was going to be was it harder i mean what, what was that like it was better it was it, it was, was everything i hoped for you just you just love you're just a glutton for punishment aren't you, you yes, just love. yes <laughs> it was probably a, a piece of cake compared to normal life <laughs> oh yeah it was it was great it was intense it was also short duration which is something that i hadn't done much of because done more like longer term endurance stuff yeah it was a lot of fun and you said you did that for eight years mm -hmm. how many you did how many uh did you do eight overall or i've done six overall and then yeah, about the same or a few more halves. Than that. 
Oh, wow. That's fantastic. That's so cool. And now at some point, the idea to do the Iditarod came up. Were you mushing dogs all this time or did you have to get back into it again? Uh, I was mushing dogs on and off. I, I didn't when I was in Fairbanks uh, taking classes or working. But when I came back to Kotzebue uh, for work, uh, I did uh, start running again. And at that point, um, as you know, there's qualifiers to complete for the Iditarod. And so I could start the process of getting towards my rookie year, which was in 2014. And I, I started up until for 2014, I tried to compete in both Ironman and Iditarod. I was training 40 hours a week for Ironmans and wanted to be able to do both because I wasn't willing to give up one just to do the other. I felt like if I could race, I did a rod in March, I should be able to compete in an Ironman in August or November. But with uh, I did a rod, you have to be so committed and train your dogs really all year long. And the training load that you end up putting on your legs for both, it ended up not being that sustainable. <laughs> it was worth a shot. What is some of the physical training for the Iditarod? So on your body, what ends up happening in the summer, for example, where we live in Kotzebue, you're up on the tundra training. So you're on this big old wooden sled and your legs are standing on runners, but you're up and down on these tussocks, which are you know what the tundra is it's these big knobs of grass and dirt so your sled is bouncing up and down on these tussocks and you're trying to stay the sled is just bouncing up and down like as if on rocks you know it's super jumbly so your quads and calves and your ankles all your bones and everything are just getting completely jarred around and you're out there for six hours and even when you're out on snow and, and you're doing a regular training run that might be 50 miles and you're outside for eight hours or something you're still hooking up dogs uh, on both sides for maybe two hours and then you're feeding them both sides of that so you end up working 12-hour days and then to go get your bike in for four hours after that not to mention working and spending time with your daughter there's ends up being kind of like things just start not being able to add up. But. Yeah. Even some, even someone like you gets to the point where there's just too many things on the plate to where it's like, okay, something has to go. And I, and I'm sure the, 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 the benefit of the solitude of, of the Iditarod is what eventually kind of won out because as, as fun as, as fun as Ironmans are, they're with a lot of other people. And I know, yep. I know you don't like that. <laughs> Plus, you don't have the wilderness aspect. Exactly. It's all kind of a, an organized kind of structured thing with, with you know, guiding, you know, just, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You have the grit. You have the salt. I mean, yeah, it, it has a one aspect, but not the others. But I, I loved it for that. <laughs> Well, I know that you're not, <laughs> I know that, you know, um, doing adventures is not something you're ever shy to back down on. And I know that you have a, a new project popping up. Do you mind mentioning uh, a little bit about that and what that's going to look like? 
Absolutely. All right. So I'm t- taking a break for the next two years to uh, of racing to start climbing the seven summits. Uh, very much looking forward to this. I've been working up to it for the past couple of years. I've been taking the usual classes, um, climbing on Mount Banker, Mount Rainier, a couple mountains here in Alaska, and I'll be climbing, um, attempting a climb on Mount Elbrus in July and Kili in August and a Rainier trip uh, in there somewhere. But uh, it's, you keep me. You keep hearing me saying it's a dream of mine, but I do have a lot of dreams. So I hope you can't fault me for that. But uh, it has been a dream of mine, and I'm there. I'll be climbing with my camel, and his organization is very qualified, and I feel confident to be working with a great group. That's awesome. Did you know we had my camel on the show a few months ago? I just found that out and listened to the podcast and I'm even more enthusiastic. Yeah. That guy is a complete professional. Yeah. I I was thinking if I ever want to do one of these, he is absolutely the person I'm getting a hold of. Yeah. So what, what about the seven summits? Is it just the obvious that the, you know, the biggest challenges on each continent is why you want to do it. And you know, if not, what, what is it for you? Because you will have to go with a guide and, and it will be, obviously wilderness experience, but it is, you know, it is on a lot of people's list to, to complete something like that. For me, I wanted to climb the second highest, not the actual highest. I've read more about the interesting technical aspects of the second highest. However, my abilities won't warrant the, or won't allow me yet to climb those. So at this point, I'm going to begin climbing these seven summits. It's the alpine environment itself that I, I hunger for. Um, getting to the seven continents and traveling is something I hunger for. I love being in the mountains. And despite the fact that I'll be there with the team of other people, I still feel I'll have close enough to the solitude um, that I need in order to feel that satisfaction and have also that spiritual feeling um, that's so important when out on any kind of expedition. So I'll be happy anytime I can get out uh, on a mountain. Here in Alaska, we have a lot of 5,000 foot peaks and they're actual peaks. They're not hills just because it's 5,000 feet. They're, They're beautiful. And to be out on one of them is a true treasure. So the seven summits, though, are are also just a beginning of a, a whole quest that I think will open doors to many other climbing experiences that I look forward to. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. And now um, when this podcast release, your, your book will be coming out the day after. Can you tell you know, listeners, what, what to expect with the book, why they should go out and get the book. And, uh, I know it's probably a lot of what we covered in the episode, but is it, what, what, what can they look forward to with that? The book has something for everyone and I hope everyone does pick it up because it'll be worth it. I promise the story is about survival and it's a quest for meaning in the far North is the 
the way it's written is it oscillates between epic adventures of the sort that we've talked about today and raw life, not a lot of which we did not talk about. What I consider an adventure memoir, and it's for a mature audience of men and women, not necessarily for you know younger uh, folks. So there's a lot of ponderings over mysteries we face in life in the sense that I really want folks to question why it is, how it is that we're looking at our own life. So I talk a lot. I've got great stories in there, of course, about the Iditarod, the quest, the Pacific Crest Trail. You know, those are in there. You got to have them in there for stories. But really, it's a progression of how do we survive when we're hit with the most horrifying loss we can have in our life. And how do we survive? How do we manage that? Because that's some things in life are so horrifying. How do we get beyond that? And there is a way is what I'm telling you. We can get through it. But better yet, we can learn to live again. We can actually say yes to life. And then we can make something great again. And you might not be the same as who you were before. Um, but you can redefine yourself and you can still see the beauty in life. And that's what the book is about. So I really encourage folks to consider picking it up. Uh, I'm very humble. I'm not, a, I'm not an author. Never really written a book before. So I can't promise you it's going to be this eloquent text. But I do hope you. <laughs> oh, <that's great. laughs> I do hope you give me a pass on that. Well, if they're listeners of this show, they, they're not used to uh, uh, a high degree of professionalism. Let's put it that way. <laughs> no, it's, okay, it's, it's very humble. It's a humble show. We, we, don't, we don't strive for, you know, clean, crisp pr production or, or, or style. It's really just conversations between people about adventure and about what, you know, the meaning of life and the meaning of, of what it means to get out there in the wilderness and solitude and uh, why we love it so much. And so it's, it's, yeah, it can't be any more um, perfect in that style for, for our listeners. So I, I really encourage them to get out there and check it out. And by the way, it's called Epic, Epic Solitude. And uh, where we'll be able, uh, where, uh, sorry, I'm mixing up my words. Where will folks be able to find it? So it'll be all over your um, regular um, venues, including uh, IndieBound, which is where your independent bookstores well, very cool, Catherine. So, you know, is, is there any other projects or any other things coming up for you or anything else you'd like to share with listeners before, uh, before closing out the interview? I guess the last thing I'd like to share is that um, soon after the book comes out, I'll be launching uh, Find Wilderness, Find Wellness workshops. What I'm combining is um, it'll be three-day workshops to help people create a package to develop grit while also finding time in nature. There's been a lot of studies coming out over the past five or 10 years about exactly why it's important to spend time in nature. Uh, exactly 120 minutes is what you need to spend time in nature with the greatest benefits being 200 to 300 minutes in nature. And when you do that, and this is per, how, how long of a time? Oh, per week. Per week. Thank you. Okay. It improves your cortisol, your blood pressure, your sympathetic and parasympathetic oh, uh, no nervous doubt. system. 
And we know all this uh, intuitively, but to have the science start to narrow down exactly what and why, I think will really help to create a program for people to improve what they want. Uh, Another example is folks that spend four days in nature away from digital devices. Uh, After four days, creativity goes up by 50%. So having a retreat or a workshop for three or four days, you can have some pretty remarkable results, both for health, creativity. So find wilderness, find wellness. I want to come up with workshops that can really help people both formulate a plan that can increase opportunities for great in their life and also understand how better to find a way to have access to nature in their lives to improve wellness physically and mentally. So uh, I'd love to, if anybody wants to talk about it more, look me up. Wonderful. And they, I'm sure they can also find that uh, at your website, correct? Which is yeah. um, katherinekeith.com. And I, that'll be in the show notes as well. Catherine Keith, both with a K. All right. Well, Catherine, I, I really, really appreciate you being on the show and, and sharing a little bit, just, you know, skimming the surface of life, of what your your adventurous life has entailed. I'm very excited to get more into the book and to uh, just be able to learn about you and, and what you've done and what you're planning to do. Excellent. Thanks, Mason. Well, have a great one and we'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank okay. you so much. Bye. All right. Bye. First of all, Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.